0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mace, welcoming you to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers. Why are they here to be celebrated? With me right now, I have a man that's a jack of all trades, master of none. You hear his voice regularly on Questlove Supreme. He's a producer. He is a man of all things. Founder of the Sugar Network host of emof on wild110.net and we're gonna get into all that and then some with the one the only sugar steve sugar steve welcome to beyond the album cover sir
1: wow thanks for having me on um you you said uh jack of all trades but master of none wow i mean that's kind of insulting
0: yeah, you know, I, I I hear the show and you're doing a little bit of everything. So we're going to get into all that and then some. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Tell us about your beginnings, where you're born and what made you fall in love with music and wanting to get into the biz?
1: Wow, uh, that's that's a big question. Uh, born in um, upstate New York and. Uh, was exposed to music very early on uh, the way most people are through the radio and through whatever their parents or siblings are listening to. And then I guess as most people in their teenage years start to develop their own tastes and their own preferences. So started listening to a lot of things at that point and continuing on. And most of most of my life I've been listening to music that was made that was not contemporary to, to my life. Like I guess in the eighties, I was listening to stuff that was current, but um, other than that, most of my life I've been listening to music that came before me, you know, from the past and the distant past. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that's been a main factor in what's, what's shaped my, what shaped my uh, music listening and, and also my career. Um, as far as I, I forget, I forget the third thing you asked me, what got me into the music business? Yes, sir. Uh, well, I was um, like a lot of people, somewhat directionless in my early twenties, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and didn't really at that point i was just music appreciation and record collector things like that i didn't realize that and i didn't realize that if you weren't an artist that there were other things you could do uh, to make music your career and i found out that i could um, i could go to engineering school and learn how to become an engineer and that would get me into the studio and that's really where i wanted to be was in the studio where, where, and when people were actually recording. Cause I found, I found that to be the most interesting part I think was to be present at the moment of creation or recording. And, uh, so that's what I did. I went to an engineering school here in New York city for about nine months, learned the fundamentals and they helped place me in an internship at electric lady studios. And that's where I met a lot of the people that I'm still working with today.
0: Wow. So when you get placed at Electric Lady in the beginning, were you more like the gopher going out to get stuff and artists were coming into the session or you were sitting and learning under domain engineer, learning how to edit, learning how to program mics and knowing, okay, this is what this should sound like. And just making sure that everything gets right when a certain artist comes into the studio for that day.
1: Well, I started as an intern, so you don't have access to the rooms. You're not sitting in on any sessions when you're an intern. You're, you're making runs and cleaning the bathrooms and things like that. But um, if you stick around and if you, if you uh, get a chance to, to stay there, then sooner or later, you end up as an assistant engineer and you get to sit in the corner of the room and watch everybody work and learn by being in there and by watching And then if you stick around long enough, uh, as an assistant, then you start to become an actual engineer and start to get your own sessions, mainly tracking stuff is how you start tracking vocals and things like that. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how it happens. Same old story. Just got to get in and then, uh, make a good impression and try and figure out a way to stay, stick around. And obviously, learn by watching and and uh just being there you know it's the only way to do stuff you got to be there
0: right definitely on the job training this was back during the era of analog technology when that was king we had reel to reels you had the splice tape the editing block and let me tell you people you really had to have surgical precision in order to edit on reel to reels because one wrong splice you were going to be done for
1: yeah well, like you said, uh, like you said, I was uh, st- it was still completely analog industry when I started, but only it was only a few years until uh, digital audio and Pro Tools started to be uh, real prominent in the studios, and so I had to, after learning all the fundamentals of analog and learning how to do all the things. That you're saying like editing uh, it very quickly became a digital situation most of the time so i had to kind of relearn everything in the digital sense it's all the same obviously except no razor blades
0: right yeah i was like man i'm glad i missed out on analog because you know like i said wrong, wrong edit you were done for because there was no way you could go in and undo the edit that you made because one wrong cut you were done, you had to re-record over and over because I can remember watching on YouTube, uh, I believe it was Tony Moran from the Latin Rascals. He was explaining how they would do their edits when they would do their master mixes for the various radio stations in New York and how they would separate what instrumentation that they were going to use based on the notes and they would mark it with the greaser. So you really had to be super duper accurate.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we weren't you don't really edit two inch tape that much. Um, and if you do, if that's really your, your master reel, you, you make a safety and, and in case you screw up the edit, but I was doing a lot of half inch editing on half inch tape, things like that. But, uh, yeah, like I said, quickly pro tools was there and everything became a lot easier. Um, and you know, working with tape, just, it's so expensive and it's the tapes are so heavy <laughs> and if you have to mail them somewhere, it's, it's crazy. So there were, there are obviously pros and cons to uh, the turnover from analog to digital, but these days I'm back to working with, with analog again for my jazz label, JMI.
0: Mm -hmm. now speaking of jmi why is it that you think a lot of people now even though digital is very prominent they still want that old warm sound of analog
1: well i mean uh, the answer is in the question it's it's an it's an old warm sound and uh, especially if you're making vinyl records which a lot of people are back to doing again as well it it all helps it all feeds into um if you're using tape and if you're going to vinyl, then you're going to end up with a most, most likely a a warmer, uh, more round kind of sound than you would get with digital. Digital can sometimes be somewhat brittle or, uh, somewhat limited in its subsonic and supersonic frequencies and so forth. But, um, yeah, you know, it's and plus, like you said, it's it's kind of old school. If It's fun. It's it's challenging in the sense that you really get a, a feel for what all the old engineers and producers had to deal with all those years.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you definitely see a lot of the vinyl re-releases when it's record store day and, you know, back before streaming took over. That was pretty much all you had was either your local mom and pop or your chain record store. So what was it like for you with the art of crate digging and going to try to find that exclusive record and trying to get in good with that record store owner to make sure that they put that record for you to the side to make sure that you had that exclusive? What,
1: on record store day or something?
0: Um, Back when you were going record store shopping in your youth, um, when record stores were huge.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's really if I'm a master of any of my trades, it would be, it would be that it would be. Digging through the crates and, and. Researching things that I would want to, that I would want to get on, on vinyl. Uh, I have a, a really large record collection and, uh, I, I think it's important. I think it's important to, um, to be a student of the past and, and all, as much as you can get to, as far as uh, what's been released in the past, and and collecting records and taking care of them also. If I'm, you know, the records will be around after I'm gone, so I feel like I'm just a a, a care. A, I'm just taking care of them while I'm here, so I like to take good care of the records, and um, and and I think at the at the heart of every person who's in the music industry regardless of what job they do i think everybody is a music fan first and uh and whatever they are second i think you have to be in order to to be able to deal with this industry you really have to not only love music but love music history and i would assume record collecting is is part of that it has been for me but in answering your question um that that's record shopping has always been my, my sort of escape. You know, you get to go into a record store and just zone out and the rest of the world melt away. It's just you and all this history. And, um, it's, it's an exciting feeling. What can I say? You know, when you find something you've been looking for for a while, or if you find a really nice copy of something or an original kind of copy. And, uh, so that's always been one of my, one of my escapes is to, is to go, go into the record stores. And I've, I got really deep into it for a while, whatever city I would go to when I was traveling, I would make sure I hit all the record stores and get a feel for it and pick stuff up that may not be available in my city. And so it's really been a big part of my life and a big part of the stuff I do when I'm in New York and when I'm traveling.
0: Right, and the art of crate digging kids is a science, and also it's where you first learn how to do the art of making a deal, because let's say if a record costs a certain price, and if you only have X amount of dollars on you, you may be able to haggle with the owner or with the vendor, and if you're getting real good with the owner, maybe they can cut your break. Now, that varies. Now, the one thing that I do miss about the days when record stores were king was that you had the sense of community. Because in addition to the record store owner, you also had your regulars that would come in and then you all would chop it up about certain records that were in the store and you would have listening parties for particular albums and discuss and debate. And it seems like you don't really have that communal experience now with digital and streaming and everything gets instant at the snap of a finger.
1: Hmm. Well, actually, I, I never really had that experience. I, I, I didn't talk to a lot of people and I'm record shopping. I like to be really you know uh focused
0: <laughs> right right uh,
1: so i don't usually do a lot of chit-chatting but but yes if you're getting good with the with the store owners and people that work there they'll they'll usually give you a discount if you're buying enough stuff and they'll throw in some records and things like that so yeah that's always a part of it
0: right so was it also kind of the field too where you kind of hunched over a little bit in the rat just to make sure that somebody didn't see what you were getting to make sure they didn't have that one up on you
1: uh, not so much that. It's more of like I get bothered when people crowd me. You know, like where they're like standing right next to me, and while I'm while I'm trying to like, I just want I want some elbow room. You know, I don't want to feel claustrophobic. When I then I feel hurried because I feel like somebody else wants to come look through through the rack that I'm in. So I'm kind of then I feel rushed and, and get uptight.
0: Right, you just want to have your own bubble. Now, what was it like <laughs> for you with your first exposure? to hip hip-hop and before mainstream really caught on and became the global phenomenon that it is today where it's the world's most popular genre?
1: Uh, well, my, my first experience with, with hip-hop was everybody's first experience with hip-hop. It was The Message and Run DMC and Fat Boys. Um, I was really into that shit when it first came out. Especially the Fat Boys and Run DMC. I mean, that shit really blew me away. I don't know why, but um, but then after that, I don't know when. When was that? Uh, like the early '80s, something like that.
0: Yeah, around around that time frame.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. It seemed like after that, I I I, I definitely was into certain things, the Beasties tribe and uh but but i really fell off like i really i guess i went down my own road you know with old rock and jazz and um i wasn't listening to a lot of i just wasn't listening to a lot of contemporary music after a certain point I, i think that point was like when i started smoking weed and I just went I just went in my own direction and it was it was into the past. And uh I just wasn't listening to a lot of contemporary music until uh the mid nineties when I ended up at Electrical Lady, and I ended up around some of the great hip hop artists of our time, like Quest and Common and uh Jay Dilla and um well I mean I was, I was working with a lot of great, I worked with Black Alicious, you know, there.
0: Yeah, I, I heard of the name Black Alicious, yes.
1: Yeah, that was a good session. And, uh, just, uh, that's when I, that's when I kind of was like, okay, you know, I, I hadn't heard much in, in like the previous 10 years of much of hip hop or where it had gone. And then suddenly I was right in the middle of where it was um d'angelo you know uh we're working on the voodoo record and i mean that record has a lot of genres in it but there's hip-hop in it and i that record really helped me understand not just where hip-hop was at the moment but what what was going on engineering wise and how that that kind of music was made so uh it was all super interesting especially since i had i, I wasn't like a hip-hop expert in any sense and then here i am working with quest love who's literally the hip-hop expert and over the last 25 years that i've been with him obviously i've had kind of the greatest education anybody could have in hip-hop but he's he's taught me everything that that i had um overlooked and not paid attention to or had been ignoring so I caught up. He caught me up. Let's just say that.
0: Right. Because I hear that Questlove is a cultural curator, has an extensive collection of vinyl, soul train, and it's pretty much all for the culture. So um, I grew up during the golden era of hip hop. I was born in 85. So being five, six and seven, when a lot of those great era records came out. And this was back during the days when. Hip-hop was very regionalized where if it wasn't coming out of New York or LA, it wasn't getting airplay unless you were making some noise in your region and maybe you were getting a little bit of regional play. So what was it like for you to finally see that genre of music go from being regional to worldwide? And then how did your musical influences and other genres help sharpen your skills when engineering in the studio?
1: uh well i'll answer the second part second part first <laughs> i said i'll answer the second part first um i think uh i think the reason that quest love and i ended up working together for so long is that i'm not a hip-hop expert and i wasn't looking over his shoulder trying to figure out how he was making stuff and um, I was coming from a whole different place and uh, coming with a lot of information about stuff that he that he wasn't familiar with and I think is that I think that was a, a nice contrast that made it that made it click rather than hey you know if he if I was some hip-hop hip-hop expert he doesn't really need any of my information you know he doesn't really need any of my input he's got all that already so I feel that that was something that really uh helped us in the studio where he's coming from one set of ideas and or well multiple sets of ideas and I'm coming from other multiple sets of ideas so it wasn't it wasn't too much crossover as far as, as far, I mean, there was crossover, but I just imagine that, I imagine he might be like frustrated with, you know, with an engineer who, who knew everything about hip hop. It just seems like it wouldn't have served him as well. So that's my thoughts on that. And I mean, I, I, I use all the tricks that, I, that I've heard on old records, jazz or, uh, or rock, just to name a couple, that I incorporate into the way that I make hip hop records and the pieces that I contribute to it. Um, and my own work is too. I'll, 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 these days I'll be making a rock record and I'll be incorporating hip hop engineering techniques to that so it you know goes in both directions
0: right you mentioned earlier the late great jay dilla dan sharnas just released a book dilla time can you talk about just seeing him work and just his impact that he's had on hip-hop and music in general
1: <clears throat> well i'm only <clears throat> going to be repeating things that i've said before and things that everybody has said before and dan has pointed out in his great book about Dilla, uh, it's really just really just met him a couple times, but once was in uh, Electric Lady Studio A, and we were uh, it was the Water for Chocolate sessions, the Common record, and he was programming a beat on an MPC two thousand, which happened to be my personal one, um, and uh, everybody was everybody was like surround like had surrounded him quest and common and uh commons manager derek and uh pino and everybody was crowd was like a semicircle around dilla watching him make this beat because they wanted to see how he how he did it and uh i just remember being in the corner of the room as the assistant engineer watching this and not really knowing who dilla was um at that point and just thinking, wow, if all of these other, you know, incredible artists are, like, hovering over this one dude trying to see how he's making his music, he must be doing something pretty special, pretty unique. So that's kind of when I was like, okay, you know, I need to pay attention to this guy. And, of course, I mean, Quest had been talking about him forever. But at that point, I, I'd only known those guys for a couple of years. So uh, I, I still really was pretty green and pretty pretty uh oblivious to the 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 depth of talent that i was working with and and so yeah and and especially now after being with quest so long he's i've heard every dilla beat at this point we've re-recorded every dilla beat at this point you know it's It's really been Dilla's music has really been one of the main one of the main centerpieces of of the stuff that I've worked on. I mean Quest really that's Dilla is his God, you know. So um, it's it's um and really the it's not just Dilla's music, but all the other artists I've been mentioning that I've been able to work with that's really been the biggest blessing of of my career is that the timing was such that i was able to somehow without having any knowledge of their work prior i somehow ended up with this incredible group of artists and who who make this music that is so good because i've been on I've been on sessions where the music's no good and it's just no fun, you know? And so I've been around this incredible group making this incredible music for for so long. So I'm just, I'm pretty much just dancing all day long, which is a great way to spend your life.
0: Right, definitely that. And you mentioned D'Angelo and uh, Voodoo. So coming off of the success of Brown Sugar, knowing that, this next album gotta be even better than Brown Sugar. So what was it like being in the studio, watching that all come together and then seeing that album just take off and the legacy of D'Angelo, which I say to me, D'Angelo is like a hip hop version of Prince.
1: Well, I mean, I was on that session for many years and I learned so much and it's all due to Russell Elevado. If you know who that is, he's the engineer who actually engineered that record. I get a lot of credit for it, but, uh, but Russ is the guy who actually did it. I was the assistant and I engineered a little bit here and there, but uh, just being there and watching Russ and D'Angelo and everybody else who was part of those sessions, but mainly those two, watching them work every day um, knowing that we were doing something that was great and that people were waiting for. And we knew it was better than brown sugar. So that wasn't really a question. And uh, it, was, it was everything. I mean, I learned everything. That was my first real extended gig as an assistant engineer and went on for so long that I not only learned how to engineer, but I learned how to handle myself, you know, on a session like that. I learned how to, um, how to deal with a lot of the realities of having this job and trying to, trying to make, your career happen and trying to keep your life together and things like that. But, um, but mostly, you know, watching them to watching them to work and Russ being really one of the great engineers of our time and, and D'Angelo clearly, although he doesn't put out nearly enough material, he's clearly one of the great singers and artists of our time as well. So watching those two guys work every day, it's just, they're, you know, they're both very creative and they're both real chill. It was a, it was a blessing. I mean, really a huge break just to be the assistant engineer on that record because it's such a timeless record.
0: Right, that, definitely that. And how, I wanna know when you're in the studio waiting for a session to begin, how do you deal with, let's say, you get a call time to come in at a certain time, but artist A arrives X amount of hours late. So how do you fill in time until artist A comes in? Um,
1: I guess you smoke a lot of weed and uh, double check the signal flow. I don't know. You sit there. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. So now do most artists uh when they book studios they tend to black out where it's only for their private use, or is it where they can only do it in hourly increments
1: Well, I'm not really involved in 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 that kind of scene anymore I don't work for for a studio um but I think it's more i mean there are there are engineers that will um that will block out a studio like on a yearly basis you know i'm seeing that more where somebody will just have a room for a whole year and they work on whatever projects they're working on in there but as far as artists um i think it's more on a day-to-day basis at this point unless you got some super budget like where you can spend as much money as you want but I don't think there are as many, you know, lockouts like that anymore where it's like months, you know, weeks or months or anything like that.
0: Yeah, because I was pretty much um, looking at the Red Bull interview with Susan Rogers, who was Prince's engineer, and she was saying how she was literally pretty much on call 24-7 whenever Prince wanted to go record because Prince always had that mindset of always keep the tapes rolling, never know when inspiration may strike, and it may need you at the drop of a dime.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm on call for Questlove still. I have been for 25 years, but uh, and I was on call for D'Angelo. I was on a salary once after Voodoo when we started working on Black Messiah in the early 2000s. I was I was on on a I was on a salary basis for a while where I was it's just like any time of night or day you might have to go to the studio. But I don't, I don't know. I'm sure and there, there there's every type of thing now. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have that arrangement right now
0: mm-hmm. and their, um you know
1: with an artist
0: yeah and you mentioned quest love so what was it like seeing his rise the roots rise to where they are now with being the band for fallon and then quest love just recently won the oscar for Summer of Soul. big ups to quest love so what was it like for you being up close and personal for for that whole journey
1: Watching Questlove's rise, you know, I wasn't there for the first, I don't know what, five years of, you know, where they really went from being completely unknown to, you know, by the time I linked up with them at Electric Lady, they were already about to win their first Grammy. Um, I kind of came on, on uh, things fall apart, roots come alive, whatever year that was. Um, and, uh, and so, but, but just even from that moment until now, yes, it's been like, I mean, they've just been on the rise for the last 30 years or so, kind of consistently. It's kind of amazing. And I mean, there's lots of amazing things about it. First of all, a band that stays together for 30 years, um, you know, what's that all about? And then a band that continues to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, like you said, <clears throat> quest win winning oscars and um the band is on the tonight show last 13 years and all that it's uh it's it's so i mean it's there's a lot of words to describe it but i would have to say it's it's like reassuring in a way that If you put in the work and you and you put in the time i mean yeah you got to be quest 11 and black thought also but you can be you can be it you can get to the top you know and um and do it without selling out so you know that's really the trick um is staying true to, to yourself and your brand and trying to, trying to get there with credibility, you know, rather than just trying to get there. And so it's, it's been amazing. It's been really heartwarming to, to see, to see more and more people recognize their talent and their dedication.
0: Mm-hmm. De- definitely that. And when QLS was starting, were you hesitant to come on board?
1: Well, I, when I, when it started, I was the engineer, I was recording it and editing it and mixing it, and I, I mean, I was I was on air talent as well from from the get go. But as well, but it was just it was too much to do. Really, it's a lot of stuff to do as far as mixing it and editing it and prepping it for broadcast and all that, and it's taking up a lot of my time. So. I ended up slowly dishing off all of those responsibilities to other people. And now I'm just, now I'm just a member of the, of team Supreme, uh, who, you know, talks on, on the show, but, uh no, whatever Questlove wants to do and, and make me a part of, I'm a hundred percent in the guy has, has done nothing but but help me and support me and uh, with with everything, with my own projects, with my personal life, you know, it's if he asks me to do something, it's, it's going to be a yes.
0: Right. Definitely a no brainer because I look at Quest Love Supreme for me as one of the podcasts that I use as an inspiration for my podcast and for me to get better at my craft. So I personally want to thank you, Quest, Fonte, Laia, Unpaid Bill, you know, for making me better, you know, and do- doing what I do, you know.
1: Thank you. That's nice to say.
0: And um, what is your favorite um, QLS episode that is aired?
1: Hmm. Well, the one I just did with Elvis Costello is not only my favorite but the best episode of qls ever so i'd have to say that one but uh, if i were to say a different one um it's tough man there's been so many there's been so many um the one with um scarface I think was one of my favorites. It was uh, a live one in Austin. And uh, I thought that was a good one.
0: Right. And I want to get you out of here on this. Can you talk about the Sugar Network?
1: The Sugar Network is like a community of music nerds. It's kind of like Questlove Supreme Jr., can look at it that way uh, it's on instagram if you follow Sugar steve i go live a lot and interview people just like Jarrell is interviewing me right now just talking about music most of the time and uh it's been a long it's been a long time like four and a half years we we've, we've uh, been around and so we've been making a lot of friends and learning a lot and it's uh, it's it's kind of a little bit of everything. Everybody, everybody goes live, does does shows and series, and it's uh, it's it's been amazing. Met a lot of people, and it's uh, it's a great place to to hang out if you're bored.
0: <laughs> right, it, definitely a good place to drop in learn some stuff and get away from the stress of everyday life. So before we wrap, current projects, any shout outs you wanna give and also plug social medias if any.
1: Oh, um, well, a lot of JMI projects. That's, that's my jazz label that I co-own with, with Jake Cohen. And we've, we've, got a, we've got a bunch of records coming out over the next six months. Uh, So any of those, you can check that out at JMIRecordings.com. and um, the most recent project we did I'm super excited about uh, the piano player Ray Angry who's a member of the Roots and we've done the record with him prior but we just did a uh, a solo piano record with him and it's going to be a three platter, three uh, vinyl platter box set with a with a nice big extensive booklet in it and really excited about that. It's like a real old school kind of Keith Jarrett type release. Nice. Um, Other than that, you know, there's always stuff going on with the roots still working on their next record and lots of stuff going on at the tonight show and QLS. Wow. One Hundred and Ten. It's a lot. There's a lot of stuff happening. And, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you're out there enjoying yourself listening to it
0: yes sir and you can catch this interview on youtube at beyond the album cover all streaming platforms follow the facebook group facebook.com slash beyond the album cover ladies and gentlemen let's give a big round of applause and thank you for the one the only sugar steve for coming on to beyond the album cover thank you sugar steve absolutely thank you yes sir